it's okay that actually we have just an incremental contribution. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. That's qlik.de slash data stories. everyone welcome to a new episode of data stories hey moritz hey enrico what's up much much yeah. here i'm in the final stretch of my uh us tour yeah so i'm now in i arrived in boston finally final station i've been to uh minneapolis san francisco vancouver information plus conference and now i'm at the information design lab here in boston uh-huh And that's actually two points that connect uh, connects me to our <laughs> guest today, which is a, sort of a funny coincidence. <laughs> yes, I'm very happy to have on the show Isabel Mireles. Hey, Isabel, how are you? Welcome on the show. Hi, Enrico. Hi, Moritz. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure. Great to have you on. So... Um, Isabel is a professor of design at the University of Toronto, and she is also the author of a very nice data visualization book called Design for Information. And she's also one of the organizers of the Information Plus conference that just happened, as Moritz said. So we want to talk about a little, a little bit, um, about um, the book, um, your work as a professor in this area, and uh, Information Plus Conference. <laughs> Great. So, Isabel, can we start by uh, giving a little bit of background about you, what you are doing, where you come from, um, and then we'll start talking about the book and the conference. Okay, so basically, I have a... a um a background in architecture. I studied architecture as an undergrad, and then uh, I moved from architecture into working in museums uh, with architecture, and then finally in graphic design, and and then um, eventually coming to the U.S. to learn more about interaction and motion. And, and then it sort of combined my interest. I understood, you know, as working in editorial design, I knew about infographics and we used to do infographics and we use, I knew about Malofiage, for example, for a very long time. And so when I came to the US and started eventually engaging into education, I kind of combined all those little bits of my previous sorts of all many different lives that I had into uh, thinking more specifically about information design visualization. And so, and that's what I pretty much bring into both my teaching and my research and um, a little bit of my design practice, although I, I do still work mostly in my, um, I have another side of my brain that actually works with museums and interactive and more experimental interfaces that it's for another, another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so your background originally is from architecture then. I think yeah. we, had, we had a... A, a few guests in the past with with a similar background, at least one. I think Paolo as a as a Chucarelli also as a mm -hmm. background yeah. in architecture is a it's a very interesting. I think people that do visualization and have a background in architecture have a very kind of like recognizable style. <laughs> yeah. And and way of approaching the problem. <laughs> yeah, I actually worked as an architect. I'm a licensed architect in Brazil, even though, you know, uh, I would go to prison if I decide to go back into architecture <laughs> because it's been many years. And my first master is in architecture. I actually did it at uh, the Architecture Association School of Architecture in London. And so, um, yeah. And what got you excited? Can you pinpoint when you got into information design and later data visualization? Like, what, what were your early inspirations? Well, I, I moved. Yeah, I moved from architecture uh, into working in museums um, for different reasons because my passion is in art. But you know, so I started working to designing exhibitions. I actually designed some furniture for a museum, but I also chaired. Uh, the department uh, of um, that related to everything that had to do with the public. And so I was uh, in, um, uh, 
um, responsible for art education for all the programs in this very important museum in Sao Paulo that is the most well-known museum in South America for European art called the Museo de Arte de São Paulo in Sao Paulo where I'm originally from and the museum decided to do a magazine and I, I was the person responsible for being the liaison between the whole team that was hired uh, to be in doing this magazine. So the people designing the magazine were the same team that designed the Brazilian uh, issue of Vogue magazine in Brazil. And so I remember going to their office and say, wow, people do this for a living? <laughs> I was really, you know, I'd never really thought about graphic design. And so eventually I decided to move away again a third, a second, second time in life, right, from, you know, in, into editorial design. So as a graphic designer, I only worked in editorial design. I never worked in any other area. And as in editorial design, as you know, from newspapers or magazines, we're very much into information. So the, our mandate is actually designing information mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. communicating information in ways that make sense. And so... Um, that's what perhaps is the link there that actually brought me to, to information design in the more traditional way within the design community. And later, now that we have so much more uh, access to, to data into, into other, other more expanded ways of visualizing uh, information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because a lot of the, the, the biographies leading to data visualization only make sense once you end up in data visualization because <laughs> then, you know, you need all this knowledge like on design and structures and data and code and whatever. But forward looking, it can be a confusing travel sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, eventually what is interesting is the maybe not, it's not going to happen so much in the uh, in the present and future generations of the young people who are entering the space right now of uh, uh, visualization of data. But for us, who started earlier, uh, or for myself, that eventually at least, uh, it's actually, we are coming from different fields, and I think it's not uncommon. I mean, I hear all, most of your speakers, actually, who are have been in the field uh, for a while, we all bring this diversity uh, of knowledge into our commonalities, our challenges of making it effective or, um, you know, so if, and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what makes this, this field so interesting and at the same time so confusing sometimes, I guess. But I think if you look at the list of people that we had on the show so far, they have so many different kind of backgrounds. It's it's fascinating in a way. We could actually try to make a catalog of what kind of background people that have been on the show have. It's, it's very, very diverse. Um, Isabel, you made me think about the fact that I never saw data visualization inspired furniture. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> Some, somebody should do it. <laughs> it is true because we've seen jewelry, we've seen clothing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, I've never uh, seen furniture. Or, or buildings. I've seen a few nice tables. I've seen a few nice tables. Tables? So. Oh, you've seen tables? Oh, there you go. <laughs> So Isabel, um, let's talk a little bit about your book. Um, so the book is called Design for Information. And if you're listening to this and you don't know the book yet, you can um, Google it or go to Amazon or related <laughs> websites and, and find it. Um, it's a really beautiful book. I remember receiving this book and thinking, just flipping through the pages, it's like, oh my God, it's beautiful, right? But at the same time, um, it's not only a coffee table book. It's not only images. It's more like a proper textbook. And I think this is what makes this book so interesting. When you flip through the pages, there are lots of nice images. It's beautiful. It's interesting, but there is a lot of science and design and guidelines and background and even the way it's organized. It's, it's very interesting. Um, 
So how did you get started with the book? How, how, why did you decide to, to create a book in the first place? <laughs> well, I actually ne had never thought of writing a book. I was approached by the publishers, uh, Rockwell Publishers, uh, who are uh, uh, a well-known uh, textbook, uh, art and design textbook publisher in the U.S., And so someone gave my name as, as a potential person who could write an introduction in the area. So my initial reaction was, no, I've never <laughs> written a book. I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have a PhD. I know I, I was not trained no to, write. to write. And, and, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so scary. Writing a book is one of the scariest things ever. Yeah. And so, and then my partner, Ron, he said, oh no, you complain. You don't have books. So you, you cannot say no, you go ahead and you write the book. So I took the challenge and decided to write the book. And so, um, The idea was eventually, so it is a textbook, as you rightly uh, put, uh, and I really wrote with that in mind. And because I actually learned, as we, many of us, and we, that's what the beauty of, of learning life is that we keep learning life, right? And so I, um, for me, I, I used the way I learn into how I, I wrote it. And so, Because most of the issues that I learned, including graphic design and, and, and many other things in information design and, and visualization, I actually, the way I learn is actually context based. And so that's how, how I structure the book. So I, I, I thought rather than doing the traditional way of, okay, a color on perception, a, a chapter on perception, a chapter on color, a chapter on algorithms, a chapter on this, which there is nothing wrong about it, right? But I decided to actually do it the way I learned and the way I taught. Uh, and so um, that is more kind of, especially when you teach to designers, I tend to read a lot of science and that I need to digest in order to convey to my students that that is important, that they should know. So that's more or less how I did it. And uh, that's why There is a little bit of perception, cognition, and history, and theory, and tips, practical tips, uh, including every single uh, of the chapters. Um, and and of course, there are lots of things that are not there. So I, I don't go much into the technicalities of algorithms or computational methods, which is also not my strength to start with. And uh, But um, I eventually open some doors in terms of giving references or people could eventually find those references. So one thing I was wondering, did you, does the organization of the book or even the content come from your, from the course that you teach or the course came later? Which one is like a chicken and egg kind of problem? No, I, I, I actually, I, I started teaching I, in 2003. So I was first uh, hired as a professor in 2003 at Northeastern University. Um, and that was, they took a big um, bet on me because it was my first time teaching by myself in, in a class and it was a tenure track position. Uh -huh. So um, I was very uh, uh, happy with that. And so I was, I was hired basically to teach two courses, one in motion graphics, which is uh, another area that I've been writing. I, I created a theory, I wrote, written about it, and, and information design. And so uh, that's what I've been mostly teaching since 2003. And um, I structured the course very differently. I guess when I was writing the book, uh, I thought it should be way more... Um, encompassing then what my course is because I've been teaching only courses that are introductory courses. So at Northeastern University, that was the only time I could, I only had one class. And so I had to actually capture the imagination of my students in this one course so that they could actually be willing to keep learning and working in the field. So it is not as comprehensive as the book is, but I felt that the book, since it is an introduction, it should touch on all these different um, data structures. Yep. And um, so that's, there is a big difference. I actually, um, in terms of what the course is about and what the book uh, end up mm -hmm. being. That's one of the things that I like the most about the book. I think you organize the chapters around 
specific data structures. So I have in front of me, <laughs> so I'm reading. So you have trees, networks, timelines and flows, maps, structures, and then textual structures. And when you think about it, um, I may be mistaken, but I don't think that any of the previous books were organized around um, these structures. Um, and uh, and I think it's a nice way of thinking about the data visualization design space, right? Because most of the times, what, what the kind of problem you are confronted with is, oh, I have this data set, and there is kind of like this kind of information structure. So now, what is the vocabulary, right, that I have in front of me that I can use in order to kind of like match my problem with existing visualization techniques. And uh, at least that's the way I try to teach it in class, uh, at least partially. And um, I find it very fruitful. And um, so how did you decide to to organize the book around these um, structures and not in a different way? <laughs> yeah, again, it was thinking about case studies and about thinking about the ways we represent data. So even though, for example, if we look right at the different chapters, eventually we're going to see, for example, election data, right? That actually you'd find it in the spatial uh, uh, structure uh, as in forms of different maps, for example, or in the spatial temporal and as well as in, 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 in the textual, for example, right? And so uh, for me, it was more about um, helping the reader uh, or the practitioner uh, and the student uh, out there um, understanding a little bit of the histories and the theories, but also in the different uh, questions that one should be asking oneself when we we go into into visualizing data. So for me, it was um, it cre it created more opportunities for for um, expanding on certain issues rather than um, partitioning the other way around. I, I don't know if I'm being clear. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, no, absolutely. Because I have to say that um, another thing I really like is that you you organize information around this, inf uh, sorry, you, inf you organize the content around information structures, right? Give lots of examples, kind of like try to lay out the design space. And then, only then, you provide some some background theory, right? Which is... Um, I have to say, in retrospect, it's uh, it's very powerful. Right? <laughs> That's not the way I, I, I used to teach these kind of things, right? Mm -hmm. I think the more traditional way is like I'll give you all the theory, and then I'll uh, we'll do the practice, right? Which doesn't I have to say after teaching for a few years, it doesn't work very well, right? And whereas this book is more about oh, I'll show you what. So this is the information structure that we have. These are some. Uh, solutions, right? Visualization patterns or techniques. But here now I'll give you a little bit of theory and now you can think a little bit more broadly, right? How it can become more generative from your side. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not overreading <laughs> your, your, your intents. I think absolutely. It's like, you know, I think one of the important things as an educator is helping the students connect the dots, right? And so what I felt is like when um, if I, when I separate too much into theory or, you know, uh, including color theory or design theory, you know, it's eventually when the students start designing, they actually are unable to connect the theories that they learned into the the, the, the design uh, opportunities and the design solutions that they are trying to, to develop. And so if you actually, rather than uh, separating and you integrate, okay, so now uh, in this particular case, let's imagine if you're dealing with color, so why not think about all the, the different uh, issues that we have in terms of illusions or color blindness or other perceptual issues, right? So so rather than talking it in, in a separate way, let's incorporate into the dialogue of the making and within the context that we are discussing, right? Because there's so much to learn, right? That is actually impossible to, to, to tackle all these issues in, in depth. But if we study within the case studies, 
it's actually easier to actually go a little bit or, or show the relevance of why we should be studying, you know, perception and cognition, because they are actually essential uh, to how we design, because we are designing for humans, right? It's, it's vision, right? In my experience, it's also a difference between scientific academia and design, teaching design or how art and design schools operate. And as Enrico said, quite rightly, it's in, it, in scientific academia, it's more like first you learn all the theory for a few years before you have the license to actually produce something, right? And in design, it's often more like, yeah, here's five, five projects that have some similarities. Let's make one like those, right? Or let's do something along <laughs> these lines. And I think, yeah, that can sometimes also lead to problems that you don't know. Oh, there's been hundreds of years of history around this topic. Whoops. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this mixture can be super powerful. Like first guiding people with concrete examples into a field and then, then expand and give them the tools to actually do something substantial. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you touch it on a, on a, on a part that I think is essential. I mean, I, try to include a lot of historical examples in the book. I had many more that I was unable to include for copyright issues and for the lack of resources to purchase those images. But uh, I think I, I always try to bring the history because we, we tend to forget, we tend to think that, okay, we are living this unusual situation that we have all this data, but people have in the past, they have faced similar challenges, and that's why eventually they came with some solutions, including Playfair, right? And so, um, so having that also kind of it brings some humility to 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 who we are and where we are in our position and our contribution. That actually there are people who have faced similar challenges, and it's so okay that actually we have just an incremental contribution. We don't need to have you know, huge contributions because it's almost impossible in some areas, right? And so to show that the space of contribution can has different granularities from incremental to actually larger um, um, representation contributions. So, um, Isabel, before we move on to, uh, we also want to talk about <laughs> this conference that just happened. Uh, before we move on to that, just wanted to ask you, so what's coming up next? Do you have any other project in terms of publishing or I don't know, just curious about it? Yeah. So, so I moved to, to Canada about a year and a half ago to teach at OCAD University, which is basically a university, uh, of art and design. It used, to, it is the oldest, uh, Art and Design College in Canada. It's uh, almost 150 years old and recently became a university. So um, now uh, one of the reasons uh, that they were interested is actually that I actually have been largely involved with research in, in collaboration with different areas. And so I have, um, I'm working on few research uh, projects in addition to, to teaching and so I have um, one grant that I received from AAGA, which is the American Association for the Graphic Designers in the U.S. And I'm actually doing, I'm trying to create a framework for thinking about uh, interactive information uh, visualizations from the design perspective, similar to what I did with the book. But now what I proposed was to think about, discuss 10 projects in this area. So I'm trying to separate presentation from representation and to discuss and create a framework for um, thinking about those issues. I'm um, in a similar way that I did with the book, but it's a little bit, it's way more complex. <laughs> and so I don't know how successful I'm going to be, but uh, I'm looking forward to finalizing this in the next year. And, um, yeah, so I spent the past year and a half actually working many hours into putting this conference together. And now I will be, uh, continue to work so that we can make it happen again, because I think that there was, a there is an interesting momentum in terms of bringing all these communities together. And there's a lot of work. We actually, I actually, 
you know, together with my collaborator, we we wrote a grant. We got a, 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 a social science and humanities grant from Canada to make help uh, to help make this conference possible. So it was a research project in a way of actually communicating the importance of making this happen. And I'm also part of a very large uh, grant on transportation issues here in uh, Toronto, which is a little bit outside of my own expertise of uh, the, the what I do in visualization, but it's actually together with a very large group of people at the University of Toronto in transportation department, as well as Waterloo University, and with the visual analytics lab directed by uh, Sarah Diamond here at OCAD University. Yeah, and I'm working on a few other smaller uh, grants and writing a proposal right now. And so some, something for the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have been very closely involved just to finalize with the network science community. And so for six years now, we've been uh, creating this symposium on arts, humanities and complex networks that actually runs parallel to NetSci to Network Science uh, main conference and uh, together with Maximilian Stich and Roger Molina, both from UT mm. Dallas. Wow, so you have a couple of things going on, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not bad. This is a good time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor this week, Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. So are you into Formula One? It's a real sport for data nerds and an excellent opportunity to compare statistics. Click has a really interesting app on their website that allows you to compare stats for all the drivers and constructors over the past few years. You can see how the overall speeds have developed, but also which country, for instance, has the most wins in terms of drivers or constructors and so on. They even have a nice lap-by-lap -lap replay of each race in the form of an animated bump chart, so you can always see how the ranking within the race has developed, which I really enjoyed. It provides this neat summary of how a race went down and when the deciding phase was in iterate. So it's a really good visualization. Check it out for yourself on the Click website. The link is in the show notes. And make sure to try out ClickSense for free at click.de slash data stories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash data stories. And now back to the show. Shall we talk about the conference? I was there too, so I can comment as well. So that's good. Yeah, uh, that is fantastic. Yeah, but, uh, but first you, like what's, um, wh what is Information Plus about? How did it start? How did you get this together? And how do you think it turned out in its first instantiation? Yeah. So because I collaborate with so many um, people, right, I'm almost like a... Um, the most insider outsider or the most outsider insider of many communities and uh, including at Northeastern, I used to be part of the, um, the center for digital humans, which is called the text and maps at NU. And uh, so basically um, I always wanted to actually put a lot of people talking together. So um, actually, two or no, three years ago or four years ago, together with Mariah Mayer and ben from um, University of Utah and Bang Wong from the Broad Institute at MIT and Harvard, we wrote this white paper on the challenges of actually interdisciplinarity within uh, um, the information visualization um, community, from literacy to to actually developing projects together. And so in a way, the the idea of the conference was pretty much what we said in the first day. It was related to a dream of actually, can we bring all these communities together to discuss issues in more particularly about the design aspects of information visualization? Because I think there are many incredible out venues out there that actually discuss other aspects of uh, information visualization such as the V's uh, uh, series of, of, of conferences there that actually discuss the more computational aspects of, of uh, what is done in visual analytics, in, in data visualization and so forth, as well as the um, um, 
network science has all the venues about talking about network problems and graphs uh, problems. And the graphic design community has all these different uh, uh, conferences to discuss very little about information design, I should say. And so my dream was, can we come together and discuss and present what we've been doing so that we can um, share and even start collaborating more. And so that was more or less the whole idea of the of creating this conference. So together with my collaborator, Catherine Gilson from Emily Carr, uh, we've been working pretty much a year and a half into putting this conference together. And because I was in transition from Northeastern to OCAD University, I, uh, uh, rather than actually hosting it at OCAD, we thought of starting it at Emily Carr. But our idea is actually that it could be something uh, biennial, so every other year that we could have this conference together. Yeah. And um, so... It was both a conference, but also a workshop and an exhibition. So it's like a full package of activities. And um, can you give us a broad overview of the topics? Um, so because I think that the way you put this together was quite nice in the sense that a lot of different yeah, avenues or different fields of activity in data were, were covered quite, quite well, right? Yeah. So basically, it was like uh, uh, the idea was that we would have all these three events that would be um, happening at once. So it's a information plus um, umbrella of events that I had the, the, the exhibition that would run for uh, one month at the gallery at Emily Carr. So it was a call for submissions for the exhibition. And uh, it was uh, mostly uh, co-created by Catherine Gillison and Gillian Russell, uh, who is a PhD candidate at the Royal College of uh, Art in London. So we hired her as a research assistant through our uh, grant that was successful. And, uh, and then the, there was the conference, which was this two-day, one-track conference. So it was very big for us that the conference would be a one-track, so it, it wouldn't... It, would, it was about building community. And uh, so the conference, being an educator and having gone through the challenges of getting tenure, we understand that uh, it was important for the submissions that it was peer reviewed. So we had this incredible um, program committee coming from very diverse places, from computer science, from design, from humanities, uh, from the sciences, that actually every single submission to the conference was uh, received a three um, independent review uh, that was uh, peer reviewed. So the, we received 111 submissions to the conference and um, it was a 22% acceptance rate for the papers, for the 20 minute paper and a 44 for the five minute. So we had two tracks. So it was 20 minute presentations and five minute talks. And we actually wanted it to be diverse, including not only diversity of academic fields, but also diversity between practitioners and um, academics. And so we were pretty much actually able to accomplish that. And we had actually 60% uh, of speakers coming from academia and 40% coming from industry. And we also had a beautiful uh, diversity in terms of gender. So 44, 45%, excuse me, of women and 55% of mm -hmm. men. That's really good. Yeah. But to, to, to finish that. And so the other idea was the workshop, right? So the idea of the workshop, just to finalize that, sorry for a long answer, um, was I always go to conference and I think that, you know, there's always this idea of the workshop being the first thing and the, then comes the conference. And I always feel a little bit um, that when we I go to a conference, I get super charged and say, oh, I heard all these incredible things. I want to go ahead and start designing, creating and looking for new data. And, you know, there is that kind of energy that drives me out of listening to incredible talks. And so I thought of actually reversing the, the, the workshop. So rather than having the workshop at the beginning, why not use that whole energy that people get, right? So that the workshop comes last. 
So rather than actually being um, a skill building idea of workshop, oh, now we are going to learn about E3 or about whatever, is actually can we just have a hands-on trying to more of a design tank idea of um, developing solutions based on a lot of things that we've heard from the talks. So those are the three um, uh, main events. And now we will uh, be putting hopefully everything available online. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because also the selection process, so in design often it's invitation only. So somebody makes a program for a conference and just invites their favorite people. Uh, in academia, you often have to hand in first a full paper, so lots of work, and then you get rejected or not. So that's obviously not working for people who have better things to do, like me. <laughs> so, so I found this very interesting, like how you bridge these walls also in the organization. Um, one thing I realized, so I really like the, the, yeah, the lots of good scientists, lots of practical people. There was also Scott Murray from O'Reilly who's teaching. So he talked about online teaching data journalists, designers, but we didn't have any artists. That's also something I, I remarked, right? So that, that's maybe an idea for next time. And I think artists don't wouldn't submit a paper for a talk to be accepted. So maybe we find new avenues. We need to find new avenues for artists to get into this. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, in part what we, you know, we really wanted to bridge those communities, including the journalism community that is actually, for me, it was my entry point in my graphic design life. So I um, find it a very uh, close proximity to graphic design traditionally because a lot of people leave um, graphic design and go into working editorial design. And, uh, and so basically, I agree that uh, in order, you know, to set up the tone of any conference that you ask for submissions, uh, what helps is the keynotes and the invited speakers. Mm -hmm. So pretty much when we invited Tamara Munzner and Colin Ware, who were our two keynotes to the conference, we did it actually more than a year ago. It was actually the end of May 2015. We were inviting them to be our keynotes so that we could actually uh, announce them as we were announcing the conference so that people could engage. And we did the same with uh, some of our first, we had four invited speakers, uh, two of which we were able to engage from the very beginning. And those were uh, Chad Skelton, who is uh, from Vancouver and used to be at the Vancouver Sun. And uh, from, the, from that time on, had recently transitioned into uh, consulting and teaching. Um, but he's actually a data journalist. And Caterina Dinazio, who is actually from the communication side and from the coding kind of, she actually also an artist in a way, right? It's like uh, uh, engaging to code, but mostly from the civic engagement and the social engagement of the data part. And so with that, uh, you know, the invited speakers are always the ones that actually kind of help into what you were saying, what it's of actually setting the tone. And I definitely think that for next one, we should have a, an artist among those because that would help engage another set of community and also a different kind of mm -hmm. dialogue. Yeah, but it was a great event and uh, there's a few things I really learned. I also think Catherine's talk was amazing, so we should definitely try and get her on at some point. And it was also uh, interesting to hear Gregor Eich close with, with his very realistic view on w what data visualization development means in this world <laughs> of um, mobile devices and how difficult it has become to do really complex stuff in, let's say, real settings. So was <laughs> it's sort of enlightening too. <laughs> um, yeah. And for me personally, it was nice because I met all my friends from Potsdam. So <laughs> there were like, I think nine German speakers. <laughs> so there was a, there was yeah, a funny. I, I had, I had to say that I was, uh, when I, um, put the call together and I emailed uh, many, uh, many people that I've been in touch throughout the years, including you, Moritz, and uh, that actually I sent the email, okay, this is a new conference, please help us uh, spread the word or engage with us in terms of submitting your work and uh, for uh, presentation and you know pretty much we we are able to have you presenting Moritz uh, exactly through that so I'm very grateful that you you did that and uh, but I I have to give a, a big um, 
thank you to two Potsdam uh, colleagues from yours, uh, from uh, that actually, uh, Marian Dork and Till Nagel, uh, who actually, from the very beginning when they received my email and uh, he started tweeting about and that maybe that was something that they had recently discussed at VIS uh, in 2015 about how to bring more design discussion right. yeah. within this larger, broader um, data visualization discussion. And they, it was incredible because of their visibility and their engagement with all the different communities, how much we received uh, uh, back that actually people started engaging, including, you know, um, they helped me immensely with putting together the program committee. You know, there were these people uh, uh, on the background that were not visible, uh, but uh, I'm very grateful for their uh, engagement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's nice because I think you tapped into something that many people thought, oh, there should be a conference around that. But, you know, nobody actually <laughs> stepped up and actually did it. And now that you did that with your colleagues, uh, I think everybody was just happened, uh, happy that it finally happened. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. Uh, that's another good sign, I think, that, you know, everybody's up for that and really interested in connecting these worlds. Yeah. yeah. And it was actually pretty incredible how, you know, the engagement, we, we really didn't think that we would have as many uh, submissions as we received and so diverse. And it was at one point we were even trying to think, should this be a two track conference? Because there were incredible papers that we had to uh, uh, um, not that we were unable to accept. And it was such a pity. It was. It it, it is one of the worst things. It, it's actually because you know papers that I think would have been really amazing, uh, but uh, we really thought, okay, this is a first conference, so we should keep it small. We should build a community here and then move on, right? And so maybe in the next one, those other those people would still uh, uh, engage with. Um, the new organization into submitting and um, yeah, um, but uh, that was a pity. And, and even I'm, I'm still debating whether we can even engage with publication and invite back some of those people that we had not uh, to, to to refuse right for 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 presentation, but whether it would be included in a publication effort right that actually saying okay this is the the scope that actually it is much larger than actually we end up presenting yeah isabel i have to say uh i mean even if i i i wasn't there i've been following through the twitter feeds and it's been really exciting just seeing what, what happened there through the through the tweets and uh i am myself a, a big big fan of trying to integrate academics and practitioners. That's one of the main reasons why actually I, I do, uh, I've been doing this show and other things myself, right? Um, and I have to say one, one thing that is fascinating for me is to see that, um, I am of course much more familiar with the academic community and, uh, I love to see how academics, when they have an opportunity to talk in a more relaxed environment they tend to be freer to to just put some ideas out right because uh, i think it's a it's it's an interesting trade-off and problem there that in in conferences like the ietripoli viz that is highly academic everyone is in a way super scared that uh, whatever you say is judged analytically right and you have a kind of reputation to defend and all the rest, right? And um, whereas in, in environments that are a little bit more relaxed, but still rigorous, then you are free to express yourself, right? And I think that's that's a very, very nice aspect of the conference that you uh, created. And um, related to that, conversely, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the fact that there are some practitioners that cite some academic work in their in their presentations <laughs> so this is really happening i've been through the tweets i've been seeing both things and that's amazing it, it is happening and it, it's fantastic right um i don't know i can remember i think 
um, Gregor, so uh, Moritz, you mentioned Gregor, I think, in his presentation, if I'm not mistaken, he's been mentioning the uh, Schneiderman's mantra, right? Yeah, yeah, he made the mobile version of the mantra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the mobile mantra, right? I don't remember exactly how it was, but it's interesting, right? And uh, uh, you, in your presentation, Moritz, you've been talking about Tamara's design uh, studies model. Yeah. I don't remember how exactly it's called. Yeah, and we invented Sally the snail. Selling the putting snail. a snail on top of it, right? So this is happening. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I, I think um, that, um, you know, there is a lot of talk nowadays in academia, at least in North America, uh, that I'm more familiar with, about translational research, right? And I think yeah. that's exactly it, right? So how can we actually make uh, the research that we do in academia uh, uh, transferable, right, and meaningful to the society as well as to the practitioners because some areas like design, you know, a lot of people go into working in the, in the industry. And so how can they actually keep that dialogue and keep actually thinking theoretically or keep pushing pushing what they are doing in, in relevant ways, not only in their own, the business where they are um, practicing, but also in terms of this dialogue of thinking theoretically and actually pushing the way they are doing. And that's why I think we saw, you know, uh, Lena from ProPublica, Lena Gregor, right, or Lisa Rose and, and Gregor and all these data journalism actually bringing theories into how they were discussing their practice and uh, even Chad Scaddon, I, I thought it was actually quite nice what he said is how, how can we bring the thinking of data of the practitioner of data journalists uh, into the, the thinking and um, of the data visualization, data visualizer. And so it's how can we cross pollinate uh, uh, from practice to theory and back and forth Um yeah. So, um, Moritz or Isabel, do you have any highlights or anything you want to <laughs> talk about? I mean, I wish there was a separate episode on that topic. Like, you know, like a one hour summary. That, that would be amazing. So maybe we should make that happen. Uh, we should make I that I think happen. we should look into it. Yeah. And otherwise, I think we might just link a few talks from the post. Uh, there should be video recordings. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, all of them have been great in a way. Uh, so it will be hard to make a selection, I think. <laughs> yeah, I would be, I would be very happy to, you know, um, uh, we're uploading the talks, but I also would be happy to work with you, Moritz and Enrico, to actually um, kind of summarize what happened and create some highlights. They were, they were really, it was a very dense two days with, um, um, I think 17 talks in each day. So it was like really a lot of talks that would be hard to highlight and the, each one brings a different topic. So even though when we uh, um, created the schedule, we tried to organize on the topics, there were actually cross connections. So one of the things that we tried to do that was another dream of mine is when I go to conference, especially very dense ones, I want to get to the end of the day and say, can anyone help me summarize what happened here? Were there any connections? Can anyone remember me? Because I heard so many things and I sort of forget things on the way. So we tried to create this summary kind of 20 minute breaks at the very end of the conference where each one of the chairs kind of summarize and try to create connections. So we can actually try to do that, uh, uh, a new, a new thing here that so we can create connecting the dots, uh, <laughs> of the, of the conference by those snippets. I don't know. So you will be publishing the um, recorded videos on the web? Yes, we will be uploading the, the, the videos. So uh, we hired the, a team at Emily Carr that uh, did the recordings and they are going to be putting all these together. And once I receive that, uh, I'll be uploading to the website. And um, we, um, I have to actually upload the PDF of the guidebook Um as well. And right now we are actually going to uh, contact all the speakers, including the practitioners, into engaging to uh, writing uh, short and 
longer uh, papers for publication in the information design journal. So the information design journal is traditionally a, a very long extending journal in uh, information design for designers, but because design is a professional uh, practice, so we there is traditionally papers written by practitioners, which are not academic papers. And that was why we thought of that would be a good venue. So that would also be part of uh, this effort. Uh, so I will be engaging with um, everyone who spoke about that. So do you know already if uh, the conference is happening again in two years or? Yeah, so basically, you know, so uh, when asked that, I said, no, I don't think it's a conference that should happen every year because it takes a lot of effort to put everyone into the room coming from all different areas of academia as well as from industry. And we don't want to disperse that. We want to create that 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 energy that everyone wants to be there. And I think in order for that to happen, you know what, uh, a biennial um, frequency is a good idea. So we, because there were so many people from Potsdam, we are trying to convince uh, our Potsdam colleagues uh, uh, to it's actually... Only it's only fair. <laughs> right, Moritz? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so to actually have it in Germany. So, you know, IEEE uh, Vs in 2018 will be in Germany in Berlin. So that would be yeah. something that eventually could either be co-located or, you know, so we're starting to investigate, investigate that uh, possibility. That sounds like Fantastic. a really good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I approve. Ah. <laughs> okay, Isabel. Well, uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show and to talk about the book and the uh, InfoPlus conference. These are amazing initiatives. Thanks so much. I thank you, Enrico and Moritz. It was a real pleasure to be here with you. And um, again, thank you for the opportunity you gave me to talk about all these issues, including Information Plus, which I, I hope will continue. We hope so too. We hope it so too. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Isabel. <laughs> bye, Isabel. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, all in one word. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage datastory.es and look for the link that you find on the bottom in the footer. So one last thing that we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want to us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for us. And that's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with Click Sense, which you can download for free at www.click.de. Slash data stories.